Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, and we're recording today's episode on Thursday, August 9th, 2018. I wish I could tell you listeners to enjoy these last few summer weeks, but I know that in some of the warmer parts of the country, school has actually already started. Um, I had a phone call in the last week in July with a student in Arizona who was really not thrilled that school had already begun. So if you are already back to school, great. Um, The only way to hit your goals is to keep putting one foot in front of the other and marching towards them. Um, And we'll be here to to help you out. If you've got a couple of weeks left this summer, that's okay too. We won't rub it in anyone's faces. All right, we've got another great show scheduled for you today. We're going to discuss early decision policies and practices and strategies. Is ED the best thing for you? Can it help? Uh, That's all coming up in our second segment. And in our finance corner today, we'll be discussing bills. And if I've learned anything as an adult, it's that bills are one of those things that are not exciting, but are undoubtedly important. So we'll hit all the high notes. But first, we want to do something a little different from the usual content and introduce you to one of our former students. See, we don't just do a podcast here at College Coach. We also work very closely with a couple hundred students each year, helping them to understand the college application process, guiding them through essay and application requirements, and sharing our wisdom as often as possible. Now, today's guest is Joy Zhang, a rising junior at Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the show, Joy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Now, I want to start. So you did this process a while back, um, hopefully not too long ago. But I want to start by sort of mentally rewinding you back to the fall of your senior year. You know, it's Mm -hmm. August. Um, Where were you at that point in the process? And sort of what were the things that you were most excited about and the things that you feel like you were most concerned about uh, going into your senior year? Yeah, so senior year is like a ton of emotions. You're excited to be going into your last year of high school, but you're also sad to leave everyone. Um, And then with the whole college process and the mix, it's it's definitely super exciting, but also really stressful at the time. So for me, um, I actually wasn't as ahead as a lot of people. I finished all my standardized testing and everything by then, but I really wasn't looking into, you know, like what schools I wanted. So I really started the process pretty late, um, probably really started in the beginning of September. Um, Mm -hmm. And the things that I were most focused on at that time were what I was really looking for in a school. So for me, it was having a campus um, not too far away from school, uh, from home, but like a good distance. And just if they had, like, the right community and the mindset that I wanted in a school. And where where did you grow up? What's your hometown? So I grew up in Acton, Massachusetts. So I went to Acton-Boxborough Regional High School. Gotcha. And when, when you say that you started a little bit later in the process or that you were late, I mean, when, when you say September, I, I guess that's a little bit late, but it's really not as far behind as most high school students 
when you say you were late, were you sort of comparing yourself to your peers? Where did you get sort of the sense of what the timing needed to be? Yeah, so I guess um, a lot of people start out with, uh, like, college coach or, you know, trying to prepare for the college process maybe in the spring of their junior year. But for me, that really wasn't a concern. My main concern in the spring of junior year was to get all the testing done um, and just get all the basic things out of the way. Um, I guess I considered myself to be more late also because a lot of people start their Common App essay in the summer going into senior year, but I actually didn't start until the beginning of September when I started with College Coach. Um, So that's why I would consider myself a lot to be more late in the process, but in the end, it didn't really affect me that much. Yeah, so I think you're you're right on. I mean, I have a a number of different students I'm working with right now, and a few of them have started their personal statements. Some of them are still in the brainstorming process, and some of them have been away for most of the summer and and have been focusing on other things. And they're all going to hit their endpoint at some point in the process. But when you when you really get started while you're in school, obviously it takes a lot of time to apply to college. How did you sort of make sure that you were giving enough time to your classes and enough mm-hmm. time to the work that you had to do for your applications? Yeah, definitely. Um, so having College Coach was a huge help. Um, it made me feel like I was like like on track for anything, for everything in terms of the college process, but also awesome. allowing me to dedicate enough time for my regular schoolwork in high school. So it's definitely a lot of time management. Um, what helped me was keeping a checklist and having like deadlines for everything. And yeah. the important thing is doing like a little bit every day, not just doing everything at once or, you know, saving an essay for the last day before it's due. Um, that just having that mindset of doing a little bit each day and also doing your high school work is super important and really helped me throughout the process. Yeah, I love that sense of having a checklist, just the idea that you can check off little tasks. Like I researched this school today, add it to your to-do list, check Mm -hmm. it off, whatever it takes. That really can help students, I think, feel like they are accomplishing things, even if they're not necessarily submitting applications. Um, Who who did you work with? Remind me who your educator was. I worked with Christine Kenyon. Oh, yeah, that's right. Christine's fantastic. Um, so mm-hmm. no surprise that she was able to, to sort of keep you going, working on, on those tasks and, and keep yeah, you definitely. motivated through the fall, which can be tough. Um, so how did you, you said you came to the list a little bit late that, that maybe you hadn't actually decided until September, um, you know, where you wanted to apply. How did you go through the process of sort of establishing your list and, and finalizing that list? Mm-hmm. So I'm the type of person who kind of like has a million things flowing through their mind all the time. So honestly, awesome. if I hadn't worked with Christine, I would have applied to like 30 schools maybe. Wow. Um, but I, you know, I took, I took the survey and everything and I got the final list and I kind of just worked through it with my mom to, you know, kind of choose the right amount of safety schools, the right amount of just right schools, and then just a good amount of reach schools. Yeah. Um, that way I have a good variety and like a good, um, pool to choose from. So that was definitely a really hard uh, process of just like choosing where I want to go. Cause it was also like, where do I think I fit in or where do you, where do I think that I could really 
uh, achieve my goals. Um, so that process took a while, but I was really happy with my list in the end. I think I applied to about 15 schools in the end, which is a lot for this, some people. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was just the right amount. Gotcha. Um, you said a couple of things in there that I want to unpack, but I wanted to ask you first just about the concept of, you know, safety schools, right? I mean, it's hard for students to get really excited by a safety school. Um, how did right. you think about that part of your list? And, and what was your sort of honest feeling, I guess, about the schools that were considered safety schools? Were they schools you were excited by? Or were they schools that you just put on there because Christine made you? What was, uh, what was <laughs> your thinking with that, with that group? You know, like, for that, it was hard because I was so scared I wasn't going to get in anywhere. So having those safety schools there was really important for me. And I think that was the hardest pool to kind of choose where I wanted to apply because, you know, you wanted somewhere where if worst comes to worst, those are the only schools you get into, you would be excited for. So definitely for me, it was kind of like if I can imagine myself there and, um, all of the schools that I applied to that were considered safety, I could see myself making the most out of it, even if it wasn't my number one choice. Um, so it definitely, I definitely could have not applied to any of them, to be honest, but um, it was just a good security for me and knowing that I could have somewhere to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's just so important. And, and, you're, the way you're describing it, I think is true for almost all students. Like very few students get really excited by their safety schools. That's just part of being a motivated kid that wants to go to the best school they can get into. Sometimes it's hard to mm-hmm. look at those safety schools and get stoked about them. But, you know, there there also is is a real smartness to having balance in your list and making sure you've got options there. Um, yeah. Now, the other thing that you mentioned that I wanted to unpack that I thought was interesting was you were talking about your goals, your goals for your college education. And I want to, you're, you're halfway through college now. Um, how different are your goals now for what you want out of your college education versus what your goals were when you were choosing where you wanted to apply? Are they the same? Or are they dramatically different? Or has there just been some little tweak that's happened to that? Yeah, it's definitely not drastically different, but my mindset has changed a lot. I think going into college, I was thinking, you know, like I'm going to get all A's. I'm going to do really well in academics and join a lot of clubs and do everything that I can. Um, But I recently read an article about colleges and how a lot of people view them as kind of like a money-making business. Um, Mm. But that's definitely not true because, you know, every college is pretty much the same if you look at it. It's kind of, but it's more so what you want to get out of it. Um, So I think my mindset now, especially going in as a junior, is to really just enjoy my time and enjoy, you know, the classes I'm taking and getting all that knowledge that I can and trying to make like a teacher-student like connection and not just going to lectures and coming out and taking notes. And I went into college, you know, going to that club fair where you sign up for pretty much everything. Yes. Um, but now I'm in like three clubs that I absolutely love. And that has really shaped my two years so far and will change my in the future. 
Um, so it's definitely more so enjoying it and trying to get the best experience out of it possible instead of, you know, just going into it thinking, I need this degree to feed into my future career. Yeah, no, that's a really, I think that's a really mature observation actually to have that, you know, a lot of students can think about this process as being really transactional. You go to college to get an outcome so that you can get into your career. And once you're there, I think you actually find that a lot of the value comes from the experience and, and especially settling into those three things that you like to do seems really great. I mean, it's, it's a good way to build community, to develop a network, um, and to get the most out of your, your program. So what, what are those three things that you, um, those three clubs that you're spending most of your time in? Yeah, so I'm in a sorority. I'm part of Greek life, and that has really changed my whole experience at my school and it just, I've grown a lot of friendships in that, um, through that, and just learned a lot and held a lot of leadership positions. Cool. Um, another thing is Dance Marathon, which is a 12-hour event that raises money for kids with cancer. And that has taught me a lot um, in the two years that I've been in college, just about working together as a team and all coming together as a community and, like, striving to reach this goal of, you know, helping others. Um, and then the last one is I'm a tutor at our local elementary school. Um, cool. I don't know. Not a lot of people know, but the city that Lehigh is in isn't the most, isn't the best city to grow up in. So the kids there have a little trouble with reading and learning. Um, but just being a part of that just makes me really value the community that Lehigh is in and how they strive to help other kids. And so, yeah, those three have really shaped my experiences so far. I wanted to ask, are those things that you, obviously there's not Greek life in high school, but when you were in high school, did you do tutoring? Did you do dance? Were those things that you did before you got to Lehigh or are they totally new to you? No, yeah. I mean, I was, I've been a ballet dancer for pretty much in my entire life. So that was kind of what my life was like. You know, I never really got the opportunity to play high school sports or join a lot of high school clubs because I was always going to dance or, or anything. But mm-hmm. through my ballet studio, I have been giving four years of an op teach kids about ages four to eight. Um, so I kind of had that, you know, I've danced my whole life, but I've also had the experience of giving back to the community by teaching the younger generation. And so that's kind of similar to what I'm doing in college, except it's more of a community outreach goal, Mm -hmm. more so than a personal goal of me just dancing on stage. Very cool. I like that. That's that's really exciting. I wanted to ask you something. I don't know if this is a sensitive question at all, but where Lehigh ranked for you when you actually submitted your applications, whether it was your first choice or kind of in the middle of the pack, what, how did you feel about Lehigh before you decided that was where you're going to go to school? Yeah, so Lehigh definitely wasn't on my radar at all throughout the whole college process. I could na- easily name five schools that I was more excited about. Um, definitely, it just wasn't, like, it never stood out to me. Like, I really liked visiting there, and I I love the library. I know it's, like, a weird thing to say, but I was like, wow, I could really imagine myself studying here. 
but it never was my number one choice or anything. Um, Mm. But in the end, I, so my two choices in the end were Tulane University and Lehigh. Um, And automatically when I, I went back to Lehigh to, to visit for accepted students day. And the minute I stepped on the campus, I knew like, that's where I belonged. Um, so yeah, is that I your guess first that's visit? where it fell on my... Is that your first time going Sorry? to campus? Was it the admitted student day? Or had you no, been there No, it actually before? was my second. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So it clicked a little bit more strongly for you when you got there for the admitted students day? Yeah, definitely. That's really interesting. And I, 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 thanks for sharing that. I mean, I think it's, it's important for students out there to hear those kinds of stories. You know, I have a story that's like that where mm-hmm. I basically got into a safety school and I, I wasn't super excited by it, but really grew to love it. Um, and I'm really mm-hmm. glad that I went there. Um, and I think a lot of students, they get wrapped up in sort of what their top one or two choices are and forget about the rest of their list. And often you can find really fantastic schools that are your sixth or seventh choices um, or your fifth choice or whatever, because um, there are a lot of really great possibilities there. And if you do the research the right way, you're going to create something for yourself. I think that's, that's really fantastic. Um, I, we we're short on time. This has been awesome. I mean, time has just flown by joy. I, I wonder if you have mm-hmm. any advice that you would share for students that are starting to gear up for this process um, and if you have any advice that you would share for parents who are starting to get into this process with their students, and maybe that one's a little bit tougher, but you can, you, if you have anything mm-hmm. that you might share with parents, I think we've got a lot of parents out there who listen, and so that might be helpful too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think my main advice for students is to definitely keep an open mind. You know, I was one of those students um, that you talked about that was really just focused on their number one choice and that that I poured my heart and soul into that application and I didn't really care about all the others. Um, but had I really focused on the good, like the benefits of Lehigh and been more open-minded about it, I feel like I would have, it would have been my number one choice, you know, back then. Um, but definitely I, I love, I love where I go and I really couldn't imagine myself anywhere else. Um, like even at my top choice, I feel like I wouldn't be happy there. So definitely just keep an open mind and realize that everything does happen for a reason and you will autumn you will you will ultimately love where you go, as I have. Um, and I say for parents is to just definitely be supportive of your children. I know when I didn't get into my first choice, it was kind of like my parents were also sad for me, but I wish that they could have been more, you know, like, don't, like, don't worry about that. Just keep focusing on your other things. Cause it's hard for parents also to watch their kids not get into their dream school or anything, Totally, but to yeah. really just help them be excited for all the other possibilities that they have. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's really Great advice. I mean, we as parents, I think we get so wrapped up into what our our kids are doing and get excited for them and feel sad for them and and that idea of 
helping them to stay excited and motivated, I think is, is really excellent advice as we get into this, this really busy fall. So, um, Joy, I want to thank you so much for, for taking the time to come on our show and, and for staying connected with College Coach, even two years after going through our program. Um, it's really been great to hear your story and you shared with a panel, uh, uh, in, shared with a panel of other students in front of the College Coach Educators back in June. So thanks for that um, and for coming on the show. Of course. All right. Thank best you of so luck. Thank you for having me. Of course, good luck this fall uh, in your junior year and and, uh, for the next couple of years of college. Um, All right, folks, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk all about early decisions. So we don't want you to go anywhere. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Our humanity is a thing we take for granted, but it takes many forms, and it requires much of us to fully express it. Listen to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human, with host Dr. Leanne Nguyen. This program will explore topics about survival, fulfillment, hope, connection, being fully alive to ourselves and to others. Guests are people whose life experience inspires us to reflect on these questions. Tune into On Living, broadcasting live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to the show, and hopefully you're back with us. And our office hours are now in session. Now, this is a segment in each show when we talk about an aspect of the college application process that comes up each year, but it continues to be really essential to our listeners. Um, and today, we're going to tackle early decision with my friend, Emily Toffelmeyer. Hey, Emily, how's it going? I'm good. Oh, we're friends, not just coworkers. That's nice. We are friends, if you'll, if you'll have me as a friend. Um, but this is kind of up to you. <laughs> so we were talking about this just before Aaron and early decision, and you basically shared with me that you've been getting a ton of questions about early decision lately uh, from all of our different uh, clients and families and students. And so I'm going to start with a little quiz for you, and we're going to see if you can, you can ace this okay. quiz. Okay. Um, what's early action? Early action, that's the non-binding one. That's the key question that I get from a lot of people is to clarify early action versus early decision. So early action is a way to indicate to a school that you're really interested. You'd like to get an earlier decision if possible, um, but it is not binding. It's just a way for you to express that enthusiasm and maybe find out by December or January if you're in. Perfect. I I think that hits the nail on the head. Now, what's the key difference between early action and early decision? that binding piece, which is a big deal. So I think some people overlook what a big commitment signing an early decision application is. And I mentioned signing because that's actually something that three parties have to do on your application. So if you're applying early decision, you sign off, your parent signs off, or guardian, your school counselor signs off, you're all saying, yes, if Ian gets into this school, he's absolutely going. He's going to withdraw his other applications from other schools. We're committed to go. Right. So you're trying to earn bonus points on this quiz. And I'll give you some extra credit for bringing in that that signing piece to it. But the the binding component, I think, is really interesting, right? We've had families ask us in the past, well, what does that even mean, binding? Is there some sort of legal contract that connects us to this? What are the ramifications for uh, sort of breaking our early decision agreement? Um, How do we talk about that? I want to establish at the front end just what that means to be bound to attend a school before we start to talk a little bit about it in a strategic standpoint. Sure. So, I mean, it technically is, is the application considered a legal document. I'm, I'm a little hazy on that. I did not go to law school, but I will say that you are signing a contract. Um, so if you break this contract, there are repercussions. Are you going to be sued by a university? No, that's not going to happen. But if you break early decision with a university, that means that that university might let other schools know that you broke that contract. It might impact decisions that are coming from other universities. And they might rescind offers of admission or they might deny you because you broke with policy, which is not something that colleges like for you to do. So I definitely advise against it. There are some outs for this. If your family decides they really can't handle the financial burden because the aid package is not what they thought it would be, you can talk to the university about what your options are. But to break ED just because you were never that interested in the school and it was a strategic decision, that's going to be a no-no. Yeah. And, and, you know, importantly, you mentioned you sort of foreshadowed that the third person who signs the ED agreement is the school counselor. And in some ways, that school counselor is responsible for making sure that you follow through with that ED obligation for the sake of the rest of those students who are applying from that school, not only in that year, but into the future as well. Uh, Because if you have a particular high school where students are consistently breaking ED agreements, nobody's going to get in from that high school under the ED round because of that 
that break break in agreement. So, you know, it's something that I think that it's it's an ethical obligation, probably not a legal requirement, but it is important to to know that if you are applying ED to a school, you are saying I will come here if you let me in. Um, a financial aid piece, I think, is also important, and and you can think about it in terms of how you might be have a leg to stand on in terms of getting out of an ED agreement. But there's also some advice that we might give around financial aid and early decision. How do we talk about students that want ED but also want to be able to consider financial aid packages? Well, you definitely want to get all of your applications for financial aid in as early as you can. So that's going to be in October, generally. So parents, you'll want to take care of the FAFSA and perhaps the profile, if that's something that a school requires. Um, and I would also inquire before you even apply about how being early decision impacts your access to some merit scholarships. At some schools, if you apply early decision, that might make you less eligible for merit scholarship. At some schools, um, like American University, it doesn't take you out of the running. You're still eligible for merit scholarships if you apply early decision. So there's a lot of schools that follow that same policy, but just to be sure, if merit is really important for you, you want to talk to all of those schools before you apply and that's a perfectly fine question to ask. No admission officer is going yeah. to consider that against you when they're reading your application. That's right. And, and there are other tools for need-based aid as well. If you're applying to a school like Reed, where I work that only does need-based financial aid, you can use the EFC calculator or the net price calculator on the school website to figure out roughly what you will be on the hook for paying based on your family finances. And if you look at that number and you say that's too much, then you shouldn't be applying ED. Um, the, you know, that's likely to be what your financial aid package is going to look like. And so there's not something that's going to dramatically change that for a need-based aid formula when you apply under the early decision model. Um, so a lot of different considerations, I think, that go into this. But ultimately, we're talking about choosing a first-choice school, right, Emily? I mean, can you unpack that a little bit for students, you know, what, what that sort of commitment means in terms of ED and what kind of information a student might need to have before they're able to commit to that ED obligation? Yeah, well, that brings up such a good point about ED isn't just about strategy, which a lot of the questions I get are focused on kind of gaming the system. Like, where do I have the best chance of getting an early decision? And mm-hmm. that's fine if you're obsessed with data and that's how you want to choose your college. <laughs> I guess that's an approach you can take. But to me, that just seems like a terrible idea because you're overlooking fit. And if you're going to be really happy at the school and if they have all the things that you want. Um, so I think before you commit to early decision, you and your parents need to be on the same page about cost and aid, uh, but you also need to make sure the school has everything you want. So if it's the size, location, the major you want, study abroad, the ability to maybe double major or major minor, um, I think you have to decide on all of those things and be really sure that you would be perfectly okay with committing to that school so early on in your senior year. Um, if you're an indecisive person or you hop around to different interests and different obsessions sometimes as teenagers tend to do, um, then you might really want to hold off on the early decision, just apply early action to some places, see where things shake out, because you might very well change your mind about your dream school by December or January. Like, Joy's great evidence of that, that the thing you think you want in September of senior year is not always the thing that you want in April. That's right. Yeah. Your mind can definitely change. You can get more information. You can, you know, there, there, there are huge 
I think, pieces of influence that might change your approach and thinking just in a span of a few months. Um, what about visiting? I mean, do you think personally that it's essential to visit a college that you're going to apply ED or can you make that decision without having set foot on the campus? That makes me nervous to not see the campus before applying ED. Now, before applying early action, regular decision, I think it's fine because it's financially impractical for everybody to visit every campus they're considering. But I think for early decision, yeah, I think think you need to see the place. Uh, You talk to so many students who get a gut reaction when they walk onto a campus, either negative or positive. And there could be a school that looks wonderful on paper to you, but the second you set foot on campus, you just know in your bones it's not where you see yourself or... You know, maybe you're visiting an urban campus for the first time, and it's much more hectic and less traditional than you were imagining it might be. Like, I think you really need to feel it in person um, before you make that commitment. Yeah, and sometimes the timing gets a little bit messed up here, and you might not have a chance to visit an ED school until after the deadline. And deadlines are typically around November 1st for early decision, although there is a second round which is just as binding that usually happens around January. But if you apply ED for a school and you apply by November 1st and you go visit it sometime in early November, I want you to know that you're able to actually contact the school and switch from early decision to regular decision before the decision has actually been made. And so it's not something that I would necessarily advise, but if you are only able to see a school after November 1, you do think you want to apply early decision and then you change your mind based on a visit, you can contact the school and switch to regular decision before you've heard back from them. That's that's typically totally above board for every single institution. Um, We've been talking a little bit about the strategic elements of this, Emily, and and the reason I think a lot of families say we want to apply ED or we want this opportunity is because there is some strategic value. Um, Why is it that there's a perception, true or false, that it's easier to get in early decision and how much of a difference does that really make? Well, the perception definitely just comes from the numbers and the data because if you look at early decision admission rates for a lot of very selective schools, and you compare them to regular decisions, there's a clear difference. I mean, it might be as much of a, if, like, it might be double the admission rate. You'll see some schools that admit 10% in regular decision, but admit 40 or 50% in early decision. So that makes people think, oh, well, I should apply ED. That means I have a better chance of getting in. And at some schools, that might be true. But at a lot of the schools, especially the really highly selective ones, that admission rate is higher because those are the cream of the crop applicants who are applying for early decision. Those are the students who really have it together. They're on top of everything. They're ready to turn in stuff early. They've done enough research on colleges to settle on an early decision school. So overall, their average test scores, GPA, their profile as far as activities go, all of that is usually at a really high caliber. So that explains for a lot of schools why that admission rate is higher. Yeah, that's and that was an off an answer that we often gave as well is that, look, you can see that the admit rate's higher here, but this is a self-selecting pool of students that really want to be here. That means that they have a better fit. It means that they've probably identified things that we're looking for and they have those things. And so while you can say, just purely speaking, this admit rate's higher than that admit rate, you're also missing a lot of the context of what the strength of that pool looks like. Um, that said, from the standpoint of an admission officer, it's great to know that if you admit this kid, he's going to be in the class the following year. Um, that is a big guarantee for admissions deans who need to hit their enrollment targets. It really helps them to know 
you know, sort of after that first round, what their student population looks like. And it allows them to, in some ways, work the numbers. Because if you accept a high percentage of ED students, you can accept a much lower percentage of RD students, and your overall admit rate is quite a bit lower. And you see that with with some of the more selective schools that they're admitting close to half of their class uh, in the ED round, and then the rest of the class is filled in RD with a much, much lower acceptance rate. Um, Emily, what do you think about um, sort of how colleges are thinking about ED and, and, you know, in particular ways that students can think about a college's approach to ED as they're considering between two very similar options? In other words, you've got two top choices. They're sort of neck and neck. Uh, Is there a reason that you might choose to go ED for one over the other based on its selectivity or its ED policy? Uh, well, this sounds like a really basic, easy answer, but you should apply to the one you like more. <laughs> I think that's generally the advice okay. we give to students, right? If, if they're comparing selectivity rates and, you know, school one and school two both admit at early decision at a 20% admission rate versus their usual 7% regular admission rate, then there's really no difference there in the selectivity, right? Like you would probably have the same odds for each school if you fit the profile of the generally admitted student. So I do think that you should go for the one that you like the best and that you got to visit and you feel comfortable with. You've done your research. You know, it has the major, the location, the student life that's really important for you. I mean, that's that's my guidance that I usually give students. But do you have something different that you usually tell them? That's that's funny. So Emily's just kind of throwing that back at me because she asked this question of our team and, and I said the one the student likes more. So I feel like that's a little bit of an inside joke there. Um, I do think that there is something uh, essential to looking at how far of a reach a school is. So let's say you've got two schools that you like almost equally. One of them is Brown and one of them is Reed. Now, Brown is much, much more selective than Reed. Um, and you might have a very, very low chance of getting into Brown if you apply ED, but a very good chance of getting into Reed if you apply ED, and a lower chance of getting into Reed if you apply regular. So that might be a situation where you say, you know, even if I apply ED to Brown, I'm probably not going to get in. But if I don't apply ED to Reed, I might not get in there either. And so if you're looking at two schools that you like equally, that have dramatically different selectivity rates, and they're looking at a dramatically different student population, you might choose the one that's more of a close reach than the one that's a far reach. Does that make, I mean, does that square up with, with how you talk to students about that, Emily? It does. I feel like sometimes the argument I get for that is, oh, but I shouldn't waste my ED on read, a school that is slightly more likely to admit me. Right. So what's your, what's your, what do you, how do you push back at that comment? Well, then I think then we're thinking too much about ED as a strategic tool. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and you can kind of think about this as like, let's say you're buying a new house, Right. And you say, well, I don't know if I want to win the bid on that house because I have more money to spend and I'd rather spend it on a more expensive house. But if you love that one, if you really, really like it, even if it's cheaper, you shouldn't be saying like, no, I don't want that. Um, There's something about that commitment, that heart that you have in terms of that connection to that that home or to that college that I think should be the dominant choice in whether you apply early decision. Um, And so, you know, ED is not a tool that you use in all cases from a strategic standpoint. It's a tool that you use when you have a school that you really love and you want to increase your chances of getting in there. And you want to save yourself some worry in the spring as well. It's really nice to know in January where you're going to college. Um, Absolutely. I can't relate to that house metaphor because I live in New York City. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to buy a house. But in other parts of the country, I'm sure people can relate to that. 
It reminds me of uh, there's a series of New Yorker cartoons that are talking about New York and L.A. and then everywhere else. Um, I just saw that, just, too. You saw that, too? Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny. All right. Awesome. Well, we're showing our nerd um, stripes there. Uh, I want to thank you for coming in and, and joining us to talk about ED. Um, and uh, we'll have you back on the show real soon um, with a little bit more preparation and lead time, I think. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Bye, nerd. Yeah, yeah, have a great day. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about financial aid and paying bills, so don't miss it. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with co-hosts Thomas Rosenberg and Ronnie Langer-Kroger. The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as we speak with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Before we get into our final financial aid segment today, I'd like to turn the spotlight to one of the thousands of colleges in the U.S., and today we're going to talk about Colorado College. The folks over at Colorado College are the first to admit that CC isn't for everyone, for it's not every student who can handle the intensity of studying one class at a time for three and a half weeks, eight times a year, 
Welcome to CC's Block Plan, perfect for students who love small, hands-on, and highly focused courses that will teach you how to learn. But what can you really accomplish in just 18 days of schoolwork? How about concepts of freedom from ancient to modern times, cultural astronomy of the Southwest, or elementary Portuguese? For the 2,100 creative, intellectually curious, and adventurous students who call CC home, there is no better way to learn. CC offers 80 majors, minors, and specialized programs in a range of liberal arts and science disciplines, all of which lead to the Bachelor of Arts degree. Fun fact, the college's Department of Mathematics and Computer Science hosts a Friday seminar series that all are welcome to attend. Topic range from the G-rated, where no mathematical computer science experience is required, a smorgasbord of arithmetic geometry, to R-rated, where experience in graduate-level coursework is assumed. Wavelets for crystallographic groups. I have no idea what that means. And Colorado College, like every college, is going to charge you something to be able to take classes there. And that means that a lot of students at CC have received their bill. And that's where our next guest comes in. Today, we welcome Alex Bickford from clear across the country in New Hampshire. Welcome back to the show, Alex. Thanks, Ian. Nice to talk to you today. Of course. So you're going to talk to us a little bit about these college bills. And it turns out that once you get in, you have to actually pay for it. And <laughs> there are some things on these bills that can be really tough to figure out. So let's start with this basic question. Students think they're getting financial aid, and it shows up on the bill as being anticipated financial aid. What does that mean? Does that mean I might not receive that aid award? So that's a, that's a great question. That's a question that we're getting a lot this time of year. Um, and the first piece of advice that I would give to families on that is let's check back with the school. Anticipated aid... Most of the time, if it's marked anticipated, means that you haven't done something yet, uh, that maybe there's verification that's required by the federal government of your financial information, uh, and you need to turn that information over to the school to confirm that the information you put on your applications is correct. It could be that uh, you haven't signed an award letter yet to say, yes, I actually want that aid. Uh, mm-hmm. Or it could be something where the school um, needs other kind of documentation from the student that they're actually attending that school or what have you. So when you see anticipated aid, most oftentimes it means there's something to be done. So I'd log into your school portal first, check there, see if there's something simple, uh, and then call the school's financial aid department to see what's missing. And that's a a piece of advice I think that we give pretty often. And we, we want families not to feel... Like they can't call a financial aid office or an admission office for a simple question. Just give them a buzz. They're there to help you. Uh, you're not going to get into any trouble for asking about anticipated aid. Uh, and when, we, when I worked there at Reed, when we talked about our aid packages, we talked about loans, um, grants, and then work study as an important component of, of financial aid packages for students. For a student that's awarded work study, sometimes it might not show up on the bill. What what is what are the follow-up uh, items there for a student or family? Sure, absolutely. And and I think that's one of the uh, one of the big issues is that families uh, assume work study is guaranteed money for their student. It's going to come off the bill, it's going to lower what the family contribution is. Yeah. Uh, in actuality, work study has to be earned. It's money that has to be earned by the student. The student needs to get a job on campus, or the student needs to be working those hours, the student needs to earn that money. So that money really is meant to be used for miscellaneous expenses, um, maybe books and things like that, um, but it's not to reduce tuition. So you'll never see it show up on the bill. Uh, so if you have a work study award of uh, $2,000 for the year, 
that's $1,000 per semester that you'll actually have to pay more than what you're anticipating. Uh, of course, the bill will show the correct number, uh, but students have to go out and actively get a job to earn that money uh, to have that be a resource for the family. So then uh, typically, are students paying that money back to their parents? Um, or do they just sort of work out within the family where that funding goes to at the end? Yeah, so there's, there's no typical, I would say. You know, it's whatever works for that family. You know, whether you're hoping sure. your student's not going to call you on a Friday night for pizza and beverage money, uh, or whether you're, uh, your student's going to save that up and use it for books or to help pay down their loan, the money can go wherever the student and the family wants it to go. Uh, you know, it's always a great thing if the student's really frugal and can take that money and put it towards the school bill or put it towards the book costs or put it towards their loans. Uh, but oftentimes that goes into the stomachs of most students. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. That's, it's college. Uh, okay. The other thing that shows up often on these bills that can be really confusing for families, but that I think is standard, right, um, is, is that the college will charge health insurance for students. Um, and if you're insured already or you've got a, a family plan where that student's still covered until 25, um, do you need to pay for that school insurance? Yeah, so that, that one's, it's almost always a no, don't do it, but it's a, well, let's check out and see first. And what I mean by that, you want to see a couple things. So traditionally, uh, through your employer's insurance, your student's covered until 26. Uh, so if they're a traditional undergraduate student, you know, they're 18 or 20 years old, they've got plenty of time to remain on your insurance. The one thing that you want to check uh, is uh, how well your insurance works in the area where your child's going to school. If it's in the same state and kind of the same region, you're probably pretty safe. Uh, if your student's going out of state uh, or to a different part of the country, you might find a scenario where you have out-of-network costs and things like that that might make in healthcare costs a little bit more prohibitive. So you want to kind of compare the plans, uh, find the one that really works best for your family, and then look at the costs. The school's plans are usually a few thousand dollars a year. Uh, if you didn't cover your student on uh, your health insurance plan, um, what would that look like? Would there be a cost savings for you? Would there be a worry uh, for you that the, that the school's insurance plan isn't covering enough? So you really kind of, kind of dig through with a fine-tooth comb. If the school has healthcare facilities on campus, you want to make sure your plan's accepted. Uh, those are the big things to kind of look at. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And do you find that um, schools have a variety of different health insurance options, or is it typically just one option that's available to students? Yes, typically one blanket option. They're not, this isn't, you know, a kind of exchange website or something like that where you get options to choose from. They're Mm -hmm. usually giving you kind of one option. The schools kind of want all their students covered. Uh, They want everybody on campus to uh, be able to get health care if they need it and get that access if they need it. And so in order to cover their own liability, the school's kind of making sure that every student on campus is covered, whether it's by the school's plan that they're offering or by a family plan. Perfect. That makes sense. Now, all these things, they add up. And so you've got that bottom line in the bill and you look at that and you say, "Uh oh, I, I don't have the money to pay for this right now. Um, what do you do in a situation where the bill is due and you don't have the money to cover the cost of that bill? 
Yeah, so the first thing that I'd do, um, and, and this is a whole segment in and of itself, but uh, mm. that family first needs to kind of understand uh, the true affordability factor of this school. Uh, for instance, is it, I can't afford it right now, but I feel perfectly comfortable with uh, a payment plan that the school may offer over 10 months, uh, and those payment plans are usually interest-free. So if you've got a relatively small amount of money and, and you're comfortable with that monthly payment uh, getting through for the year, uh, you know, maybe that school is truly still, still affordable for your family, and maybe that's an option that you choose. You pay a small enrollment fee uh, with an outside institution that the school is contracting with, uh, and then you pay interest-free the balance uh, over 10 months or any portion of the balance uh, that you want to over 10 months. So that's kind of a, a nice way to break things up a little bit, make things a little bit easier on the cash flow for that family. Mm-hmm. If you're still saying, okay, well, geez, the payment plan is going to be too much money for me, and I need something that's a little bit longer term, then you start looking at loan options. Uh, and loan options are seem like an easy route for a lot of families. The first thing I caution the family uh, on when they're looking at loans is thinking of this times four and then potentially times as many kids as you have, right? If this is yeah. your first of three or four kids, you've got to understand that you're going to be borrowing a similar amount of money every year for all of your kids and kind of do that math in the end. How much total borrowing are you doing? And how much total is that going to cost you in a monthly payment? So really kind of trying to understand the big picture view of this. Now, if it's one child, it's a little bit easier to budget for. It's a little bit easier to kind of understand uh, what truly is affordable. Uh, And so really for me, uh, it's starting to look at uh, the student loan options that might be out there. That might be a a Parent PLUS loan uh, from the federal government. That may be a private loan um, that uh, the parents co-sign for the student. Could be a state-based loan uh, based on either the state that you live in or the state where you're going to school in might have loan options. So there are definitely options that are out there. Some families even tap into the equity of their home. Uh, so there, there are options out there to borrow the money. The mm-hmm. question is, once again, uh, it, it turns back to affordability. How much can the family uh, really and truly afford? Gotcha. And I think that that's an important question to ask at every stage in the process, right? And I know that you and your team, you talk often about thinking about affordability, even at the time that you're applying to schools, because you don't want to be looking at a bill in August, all of a sudden saying we can't afford this, uh, when you've got cues all along the way. Um, Alex, I want to thank you for coming on the show and helping us to make sense of these, these little complications and line items in the bill. Maybe I'll have you over to explain my mortgage to me someday. <laughs> Happy to do it for you. Thanks. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, That's all the time we have for the show today. And I I hope you all enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed putting this together for you. Hopefully things are a little clearer now than they were just an hour ago. Um, Next week, Beth Heaton comes back from vacation to retake the hosting chair. And we're going to take that opportunity to tackle more of your listener questions. So send them in to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. We'll also be uh, welcoming college coach expert and a parent of a new college freshman, Amy Alexander, to the show. She'll be sharing some tips about letting go in year one of that college transition, which would be great for parents. Until then, do enjoy the rest of August, but can we please have the fall hurry up and get here already? We certainly could use the rain. Stay cool. Have a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. 
Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.